Well, the elevator serviceman came this week. You know what that means? That means next week we'll get a bill from the elevator service company. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the elevator. <laughs> the elevator has to be inspected regularly to make sure everything is working properly. I guess some people think it would be kind of a big deal if someone were to get stuck inside. We've had a number of breakdowns with the elevator. One time a pebble, a little pebble, got in the wrong spot. And the doors wouldn't open or shut or whatever. So the whole thing shut down. It's hard to think that something so small could cause something so big not to work properly. But that's true with elevators and it's also true with Christian life. There are commands in the scripture that seem pretty small, and yet they have a pretty big impact. And we're going to look at one of those today from Philippians chapter 2, in particular verse 14, but we're going to start reading in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure." Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Verse 12 introduces a theme that, uh, that is, is so important. He's not telling us to earn our salvation or work for our salvation. Quite the contrary. He says in verse 13, God has put salvation into us. When we believe in Christ as our Savior, when we recognize his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, we believe that. And we say, yes, I am a sinner and Jesus is the Savior. Please save me from my sin. God does that and he puts Christ in us and salvation in us. And now he says, it's our responsibility to build on that. We can't do anything to earn our salvation, but out of salvation, we work to become more like Christ in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And it's interesting what the very first instruction the Apostle Paul gives these people after he says, get busy in your Christian life. It's verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Now that's one of those commands that is so clear and specific that people tend to say, what do you think that means? <laughs> well, I got bad news for you. It means exactly what it says. Thank you, brother. Yeah, we're going to take a special offering. Yep, there we go. The command... There's two words, complain is the first word, and the word complain in the Greek language is an onomatopoetic word. That's a fancy literary term, but in our language, a word like buzz is one of those words. You say, what does the word buzz mean? It means buzz. It means anything that makes that noise. We would say the electric wires, 
buzz sometimes or a bee buzzes. It's a word that sounds like what it is. That's what onomatopoeia means. And so this word in the Greek language sounds like grumble, 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 grumble. That's what it is. Okay. Oh, well, what does that mean? It, it's, it's the idea that you're expressing dissatisfaction with the way things are, and it kind of communicates this idea of a low undertone, as in, ur, 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 you know, you know. You know, you're not going to stand up and say, I don't like it, but you're going to grumble, 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 grumble. That's what it's saying. The other word there is the word uh, dispute. And it really, probably our best understanding of it would be the word arguing. In other words, something happens, you don't like it, you dispute it, you argue it, you, you complain against it. And God says, we are to act without complaining or grumbling or arguing. God says complaining and arguing are wrong. Why? Well, I'm going to offer you several reasons from the Scripture today, and the, one of them would be this. Complaining or grumbling is a rejection of what God has allowed. It's a rejection of what God has allowed. Now, in our lives, there are events that we call happy or fun or easy or comfortable, and there are events that are the opposite of that. You can call it bad, you can call it evil, you can call it uncomfortable. And they come for all kinds of reasons, the things that are discomforting to us. One of them is because of our own sin. Frankly, we do things that are wrong, and the results of that is, is uh, unenjoyable. Because of sin in the world. Um, you go out and about today to do whatever you're doing, and there will be sin in the world that may interrupt your world and you didn't do anything wrong you were living for the lord you were walking in joy and something bad happened that's the sin that's in the world because of our physical condition the sin that is in us that came from our forefather and mother adam and eve has contributed to the degradation of our body and because of that i had to have knee surgery a month ago and because of that i had a lousy night last night and my knee hurt all night long. And I wished I'd taken a pain pill and been a little loopy today instead of suffering all night long so I could have a clear head for you ungrateful people today. <laughs> but I'm not grumbling. <laughs> our physical condition is the source of much of our complaining. And it's not going to get any better until we see the Lord. Because of the devil's oppression. The devil doesn't like it when people believe in Christ or when people who do believe in Christ try to live for Christ. And so he oppresses us. Uh, obviously, he can't do it to us all personally, but he has a lot of minions that do his bidding. And, of course, the devil also works through the world. And so the world persecutes us, whether that be as simple as what we would call intellectual persecution or um, physical persecution, you know... Uh, this last week, in, a, in, a, in the northern part of Iran, a young boy had a dispute with his teacher, and he pulled out a gun, and he shot the teacher, and he shot himself. In a Christian school in northern Iran, where the man that he shot was there serving the Lord. Okay? The world is going to oppress us physically, 
as well as oppress us intellectually, and that is uncomfortable. And then sometimes God is going to test us. The scripture specifically says that God set out to test Abraham. God allowed Job to be tested. And so God allows things or actually causes things that are uncomfortable for us. And, uh, and, it, and it does come right from his hand. Sometimes God's organizational system makes things uh, in a way that we don't like it. What do I mean by that? Well, God has set up certain authority structures within the church, within the body of Christ, and sometimes their decisions are made and people don't like it. And yet God has said we're supposed to follow the lead. And then sometimes we have discomfort because God is working in somebody else. Somebody one time said to me, we were talking about a difficulty, and they said, I'm convinced God doesn't work in just one person at a time. In other words, God may start to work in you, and then that may put some challenge in my life. Here's the thing I want you to understand. The bottom line in all of this is that God allows people and events into our lives for his glory and our good. And we have to embrace that and say, God has allowed this. Our perspective may be, well, I just don't like it and I'm going to let people know. I just speak my mind. That's the way I am. I'm honest. Well, I got news for you today. That is not a virtue. If, in fact, God is responsible, and he is by virtue of what he allows, you are actually complaining or grumbling against God. Our attitude needs to be like this. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Or like this, rejoice always. Or like this, in everything give thanks. In everything? Man, that's tough. Or like this, we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him. Wow. I've been on a number of leadership boards, including Camp Gilead, as Josh mentioned earlier. I was the chairman of the board there for a number of years. I've been on the boards of other organizations. And you know what? The decisions don't always go the way I want them to go. Newsflash. But that does not give me the right to grumble or to complain because the decisions are made in a godly way, and so God has allowed them, and so it is my responsibility to go along and to say, okay. Complaining, when we complain, we are rejecting what God has allowed. Secondly, arguing, that's the other word that's used there. Arguing is a refusal to use the God-given means of resolving difficulties. There are numerous passages, and I'm not going to take time to, to look at them and to explain all this. We spent quite a bit of time in the area of, of conflict and reconciliation, and you can find those sermons on the website if you would like to. But if we were to boil down God's truth on how we're supposed to resolve difficulties, they all involve the person with the concern going to the person with whom they are concerned or to the person who represents the organization with whom they're concerned and discussing the issue in a Christ-like manner. 
When the issue involves a group of people or the broader church, the same rule applies. The person concerned goes to them with whom they have a problem. Through godly communication, prayer, discussion, and patience, a resolution can be found because the Holy Spirit is involved. There's absolutely everything right with voicing a concern about a person or the church or whatever you're involved with. That is absolutely right. Please do not construe this instruction or my comments today to mean you can never say you think something is wrong. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is say something is wrong or say you think something is wrong in the right way. Go talk to people. Pray together, discuss, reason together. If a resolution cannot be found, then there needs to be the application of truths like this. From Ephesians 5, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is a little verse that doesn't get much press. It's right before a verse that gets a lot of press. Do you know what Ephesians 5.22 says? Huh? Come on. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So, you know, we may not be in another reference, but we know that truth. <laughs> what about this one? This one comes first. This one is the theme. Verse 22 is an expansion on the theme. And then when you get down to chapter 6, it's another expansion on the theme when it says, children, obey your parents. But it starts out right here. What does it mean, submit to one another in the fear of God? It means that somehow, somehow my vision for resolving difficulties is bigger than winning an argument. And I come into it saying, I'm going to voice my concern, but at the end of the day, if, if my way doesn't go, I'm going to say, Lord, bless you. Let's get on with the Lord's work. What God is saying we must not do is go away from that when we didn't get our way and go around going, argue, 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 argue. I told you that wouldn't work. Argue, 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 argue. We, God wants us to work through difficulties. Let it go. Give it up to the Lord. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Sometimes you're in a, you're in a structure that God has allowed, whether it's you know, the, the Awana Club or, or Camp Gilead. Those of you who are going to work at Camp Gilead this summer, you're going to find some things don't go the way you want it to go. And you're going to want to go, argue, argue, argue. Does that ever happen, Kimberly? Once or twice. You voice your concern, you talk, you pray, you discuss. At the end of the day, you submit to those who have the rule over you out of reverence for God. Arguing is a refusal to use the God-given means of resolving difficulties. Number three, complaining. Back to that first word. Complaining demonstrates a distrust in God. As the children of Israel in the Old Testament were leaving Egypt, we hear this complaint. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were up against the Red Sea, so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? 
Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? We told you this would happen. Saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that, that we should die in the wilderness. I'm just guessing they were singing a different song when the death angel came through and all of those people were killed in Egypt except the, the, the believers who had followed the Passover ritual out of faith in God. And then they, they were given all kinds of valuable things by the Egyptians and here they are leaving, going out to the promised land. I'm guessing they were singing a little different tune. But now they get up against a hardship. And they're looking, they're looking across the way and seeing Pharaoh coming after them and they're going, we're going to die. But the people didn't know the rest of the story. This is God talking to Moses. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. The, the, the multitude of the, the Jewish people didn't know this. And so here they are complaining, complaining, complaining. Friends, God is always at work. He is always at work, and much of the time, we cannot see all that he is doing. That's why our responsibility is to trust and obey. To go along and get along in the body of Christ and on our own in the world, waiting to see what God is doing rather than complaining about what we're experiencing. We need to do what Moses told the children of Israel to do. Moses said, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That's the Christian way to say shut up. But the reason they needed to quit complaining was because they didn't realize God was about to do the most miraculous thing they'd seen. Old Pharaoh's going to run right down there into that Red Sea and God's going to let go of the water and whoosh. And he said the people back in Egypt are going to go, whatever God that is they're worshiping, he's the Lord, not our God's. Might God be trying to do that through your life? To demonstrate his greatness? But because you're so busy complaining, you can't see it. Arguing demonstrates more concern for self-esteem than for the growth of others. Romans 14.1 says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes. That's our word, disputing or arguing over doubtful things. There are things in the Christian life that are of secondary importance, and sometimes Christians get to arguing about them. My way, my understanding, my application of Scripture, my interpretation is right, yours is wrong. And God says, don't argue about those things. Godly people don't argue. They present Scriptural beliefs, concepts, and ideas in a loving manner for the consideration of all involved. 
If there is no immediate agreement, they move on to more important things. Here's a great example that uses the word argument from the Scripture. When, when Jesus was in the house, he asked his apostles, his disciples, what was it you were arguing about among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had been arguing about who would be the greatest. There is an argument that should have never taken place because it had no basis in the Scripture whatsoever. It was all about them. They should have practiced this little truth. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered perceptive. You know that quiet person who's sitting there when people are discussing and they're just looking and thinking, and you go, wow, I wonder what he has to say. That's what God's telling us to be. You say, you say think more, argue less. Well, the command, the command is clear, the command is a challenge, but there is a result in this command. There's an important result in this command. Look at verse 15. That you may become. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The word blameless means free from, free from fault or defect. The word harmless means to be pure as in no hypocrisy. You're not hiding. You're not putting a front on like I'm really perfect, but inside I'm really messed up. He says the the goal for us is to be blameless, to be free from fault or defect, and to be pure without hiding anything. That's why I've called my sermon today Zero Defects. I know I've seen that on a t-shirt in regard to the uh, turnaround of a refinery. I don't know exactly what zero defects means. I, I should have done some research, but just off the top of my head, I assumed it meant they didn't make any big mistakes. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure there are little things that get caught along the way, but uh, you do all this work, and you check everything out, and when that really high-paid guy flips the switch, the thing doesn't blow up. And he goes, good job. <laughs> There's not a fire like there was last week. Zero defects. He says, that you may become blameless without fault and harmless, pure, zero defects. Is that even possible in life? Listen to what Christ is working toward from Ephesians 5. Christ is working in us, all Christians, the church, that he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, I'm fully aware that the Scripture teaches there will come a day when we're without blemish, and that's when Christ finally receives us to himself, and in that moment, he will finish the work. I understand that. But between the day of our salvation and that day, he is working to present us to himself with 
zero defects, without blemish. In 2 Peter, this command is, this instruction is repeated. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Here's a command to us. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Listen to this testimony of Daniel. So the governors and the satraps, the other officials in the, in the government there, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Don't you hate people that ruin the curve? I know this is a hard instruction. Don't grumble. Don't argue. I know this is hard. While I was writing this, on my trusty computer, the elevator repairman came. Okay? Now, all of you that are in the know, know any time the elevator repairman shows up, we get a big fat bill. I mean, I mean, this guy's time is billed out big time. Okay? Because he's the expert. He's the only expert, apparently, who can certify us good to go. So that the state goes, you're blessed. Keep operating your elevator. Okay? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not complaining about him. Yeah, I am a little bit. <laughs> but, so here I am, I'm typing this sermon. I'm learning, I've, I've, I've been soaking in this all week. And here comes the elevator guy. I know it's him, I've seen him, he's been here before. And what comes out of my mouth? Grumbling and complaining. Jokingly, ha 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 about the expense of maintaining the elevator. And, and almost immediately I could see on his face that he felt bad. Now why didn't some praise to God for the convenience of the elevator come out of my mouth? It's a wonderful tool. I mean, if nothing else, we get to bring cookies up for the welcome room. Get a whole cart full of cookies, roll it in there, and bring it upstairs. No, many of you use it. It's a wonderful thing. Why not some... Boy, it sure is great to have an elevator that works. Why didn't I say that? Or why didn't I say, hey, I appreciate your good service? Because if there is a problem and he comes, he can find the problem. Or why didn't I just say something about the wonderful day we're having? No, complaining is much easier... And dare I say, more normal, more usual, more average. This is a, a challenging command, but they come with, but the command comes with his power, and he says, look, you want to be a blameless and harmless child of mine? Then I want you to learn to, to trust in me and rest in me and see what I am doing and stop your complaining, stop your arguing about what goes on. And, and he says that because there's a tremendous impact of this command. Look again at verse 15. So that you can become a blameless and harmless child of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
holding fast, literally it says something more like holding out or holding forth the word of life. God says that our word, our world is crooked and perverse. The word crooked is where we get our word scoliosis from. You know, when you have a, a spine that's not proper and it has too much curve one way or the other, they call it, uh, you know, scoliosis. And that's the word here. The world is crooked. It's not straight. It's not right. And the word perverse means to get turned around or turned inside out. And, and I've just put the phrase this way. The world is upside down and inside out morally and spiritually. Now, that, there's no rocket science there. I'm not telling you something you didn't already know. But what he says is, in the midst of that kind of a world, you are supposed to be shining like a light. In the midst of a world who says that the individual pursuit of happiness on the part of a mother is so important that she can terminate the life of her unborn child. And, and people just accept that and pass it on and... And, and, and we think, how did you get so turned upside down? Our world says the individual happiness of a, of a person justifies them leaving their husband or their wife to pursue their bliss. Our world says the feelings of sexual pleasure equal love. And of course, the ultimate twisting of the world began all the way back with the rejection of Christ. Listen to this description of a perverse generation. The Apostle Peter preached the first sermon 2,000 years ago, and he testified and said, be saved from this perverse generation. He said, this, this society of people is all twisted up. And of course, what were they twisted up about? They were twisted up about Jesus Christ. They, they, they said, we're going to kill you and get rid of you rather than believe in you. And yet, what does God say? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we are supposed to be lights. We're supposed to be lights. One of the things that they teach firefighters is to always go into a burning building with a hose line. And there are several reasons for that. One of them is obvious. If you're going to put the fire out, you have to have water to put it out with. You know, um, but there's a, a less obvious reason for taking the hose line in, and the reason is so you can get out. Because when you get in the midst of a burning building that's full of smoke, trust me, you can get turned around. And you think, where did I come from? How do I get back out? And firefighters have died for that very reason, that they didn't know how to get out. And if you have the hose line, you get a hold of it, and you literally follow it back to the door. We are the hose line for this world. We're the light in the spiritual darkness. Those who know Christ are the only ones who can show the world what they need. The Apostle John talked about Christ and said, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and, but the darkness couldn't get it. And Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, if we bring these two concepts together, the one of Jesus being the light and us being the light, I think what we understand is, Christ is the light bulb, and we're the flashlight. 
And he's trying to shine out into the world. But too many of us are, are like a pair of giant dark glasses. Dimming the light down. He said, we're supposed to be shining as lights in the world. We're supposed to be showing them the way to get out of their crooked perversity and into the light of Christ. And God says, a big determining factor on whether or not you are the light of the world is if you are a complaining arguer or a peaceful truster in God. Jesus put it this way, I have sent them into the world that they may be one unity that the world may believe that you sent me. Christ knows how twisted the world is, yet still it's our, his will that we live in the world in such a way to shine the light of the gospel. In my experience, it will be quite seldom that anybody in the world will tell you they are positively impressed with your godliness. And yet they will hold every mistake you make up for long-term review and repetition. But what does that tell me? It tells me they're watching. And they're trying to see if you're real or not. That's what the word, the, uh, the, uh, the word uh, uh, harmless really has to do with. They're trying to see if you're real, if, if you're pure, or if, or if you're a mixture of the good and the bad. Some of them are sick and tired of their lives even though they don't know what the problem is and they don't know what the solution is, but they are hoping somebody would shine the light to show them where the entrance to the tunnel is so they can get out. Would you love people who need Jesus so much that you would forsake your own petty complaining and arguing in favor of showing them what it looks like to trust in God. I tell you, a command of Scripture hasn't been so challenging to me in, in, in a few weeks, perhaps, at least, if not longer, as I walk through my days just thinking about whether I'm complaining or whether I'm living in the trust of the Lord. And if you're like me, you're going to have to work on this for a good long while. But I tell you what, folks, God says this is what's going to make us look like him. Do you see Jesus walking through his days whining and complaining? No, don't, not at all. Now there's a byproduct of this command in verse 16, the last half of this verse. Holding, forth the, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. The Apostle Paul adds a very personal element to this instruction. And as I thought about it, I, I realized it, it, it really can only be true between those who have a fairly personal relationship as a discipler and a disciplee. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I heard a little bit of it today with Kimberly. Kimberly, I said, Kimberly, what, what excites you about the ministry? And she says, people like Andrew, and there have been many more than Andrew, who have come up through the ranks and served the Lord and continue to serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul is talking that way with these people, and, he, and he's saying, look, I have given my life for you, and someday when I stand at the throne, I want to I I stand there when, when Jesus 
gives you your recognition, and I want to know I made a good investment in my life. I didn't waste my life, but it was a good investment. Paul did not live to please himself, one commentator said. He lived and labored in light of the day of Christ. In that day, he wanted to rejoice in abiding fruit. So he held forth the word of life. And to waste his time performing works that have no lasting spiritual quality that would be burned up, that would be in vain. He said, I want you to live for the Lord so that I can understand I've really made a good investment. The question I would ask you with this is, who do you respect in the Lord's work so much that you would want them to be proud of your godliness? I understand pride can be a sin, but I also understand there's a righteous element of saying, isn't, isn't it a blessing to invest in people and see them grow? Well, if you're one of those people, you need to turn around and say, who are the people that have invested in me? I want them to know they didn't waste their time. I've only been fired from one job. During my college days, I was a janitor. I was sharing this with the men's group last week. I, I was a janitor in three different buildings. But I failed to carry out my responsibilities as carefully as I should. I was content to aim at mediocrity. But I wasn't happy with the results. I got fired for my mediocrity. Christian, child of God, what are you aiming at today? It'd be real easy to look at a, a, a command like this in Scripture and say, well, nobody could do that. And if you're in the right group of people, they'll look around and go, yeah, you're right. But you know what? They aren't going to be the ones standing there at the end of your life. And they aren't the one that's going to be helping you day to day. And so I want to ask you, what are you aiming at? Are you aiming at Christ-like blamelessness? God deserves your best effort. And the world is dying to see a great example. Heavenly Father, help us. Oh, it's so normal for us to complain and to argue and carry on about things. Help us. Help us to go beyond that, to be like Christ. Honor yourself through us. Shine your light through us. Help us to get excited about what you're doing through us and not to worry about our lives so much. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.